I was so tired of going to cancer conferences and hearing that black and brown people do worse than healthcare delivery outcomes across a range of cancers. And then we leave the room. And then we come back the next year and we say the same thing. As long as I've been in public health, which is over 20 years, hearing the same poor outcomes for people who look like me, as I've continued to age, I wanted to be closer to the population and closer to trying to create some solutions. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy action and partnerships. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman, and this season of our podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Zero, the end of prostate cancer. We will build upon the Promoting Health Equity in Cancer Care virtual workshop hosted by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, which was co-chaired by Gwen Darian of NPAF and Reggie Tucker-Seely of Zero. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Reggie Tucker-Seely. I am so excited to dive into this topic with you because we've been talking all season about identity and healthcare and health equity. And I want to get started with you. Tell us a little bit about your current role at Zero, the end of prostate cancer. Great. So thanks so much for the invitation. As you said, my name is Reggie Tucker-Seeley. I am the Vice President of Health Equity at Zero, the End of Prostate Cancer. And we are a national prostate cancer education, support, and advocacy organization. And my role as the Vice President of Health Equity is a new role. So I'm the first person to have this position. And I started back in September of 2021. And my primary role is to develop and implement the organization's health equity strategy. And given the substantial disparity in prostate cancer that's experienced by black men across the cancer continuum from you know detection differences in detection and diagnosis treatment differences differences in survivorship and, and and mortality our primary focus initially is on addressing the disparity that black men experience as they're navigating their prostate cancer journey definitely very important work and a recent role for you within the past couple of years. And I know that you also have a background in academia. So can you share a little bit about your history in academia and what inspired you to make a switch and transition out of that? My doctoral training was in public health. I trained at the Harvard School of Public Health. And after my training, I stayed on board. So I was a professor of social and behavioral sciences at, in the Center for Community-Based Research at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and in the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences. And while at Harvard, I developed and taught a course called Measuring and Reporting Health Disparities. And I also launched a research program that was focused on financial hardship and cancer, specifically focused on defining and measuring financial hardship. And then I was recruited to the University of Southern California, Leonard Davis School of Gerontology, where I was the Edward L. Snyder Chair in Gerontology. While at USC, I taught courses on aging and social policy. But between those two institutions, I was a Robert Wood Johnson Health Policy Fellow, where I spent one year in Washington, D.C., and I worked in the U.S. Senate, specifically in Senator Dianne Feinstein's office with her health policy team. And regarding sort of why I left, I would say that the health policy experience is key to that decision because 
I think I had assumed that maybe policymakers just didn't have enough of the right research or didn't have access to health disparities research. But after working in the Senate, I realized there's a research arm to Congress called the Congressional Research Service, so they can access research anytime they want. And so I realized that perhaps we as researchers were just not doing a good enough job of getting the research to the policymakers. Really had me questioning how best to make an impact there. During the COVID pandemic, there was a consistent discussion around the disparities that we were seeing, but so many people were surprised. And I thought those of us who work in this space, we were not surprised at all. But where were we at the forefront of these conversations and working with these organizations to address these disparities? As organizations started to create these senior level health equity positions or positions focused on addressing disparities, it really motivated me to think about getting closer to the work and applying all of the things that I'd learned through my public health training and all of the research to work with organizations to work towards health equity. Where does your passion for this work come from? You had this strong desire to get closer to Mm -hmm. it, you know, to get closer to the ground, to get closer to impact. And usually when people are in these roles of servitude, Mm -hmm. helping to create more space for opportunities Mm -hmm. and for people's voices to be heard Mm -hmm. and for people to truly be seen, it's because they have a deep personal connection to it. So where does that come from? My personal connection to prostate cancer really came from a family connection. One of my favorite uncles was diagnosed with prostate cancer. That alerted me to the challenges that Black men experience as they're navigating their prostate cancer journey. And now that I'm aging, I turned 50 this year, and as we age, we have more interactions with the healthcare delivery system and just sort of recognizing my own challenges in navigating that space, seeing myself in the disparities that are talked about. I was so tired of going to cancer conferences and hearing that black and brown people do worse than healthcare delivery outcomes across a range of cancers. And then we leave the room. Mm. And then we come back the next year and we say the same thing. Mm. As long as I've been in public health, which is over 20 years, hearing the same poor outcomes for people who look like me, as I've continued to age, I wanted to be closer to the population and closer to trying to create some solutions. I can totally relate to that frustration of seeing poor health outcomes that impact your community and people who look like you and having that desire in your heart to say, hey, I want to do something about this. So I commend you for making that change to do work that you really feel called to do. And honestly, I think during this pandemic, a lot of people have had that deeper look at themselves to figure out what type of impact do I really want to have here? And I know part of the solutions that you've been working on include co-chairing a workshop that was hosted by NASM that was about promoting health equity in cancer care. And you co-chaired that with my colleague, Gwen Darian, and that really was the catalyst for this whole podcast season. So for you, what was your greatest takeaway from that initiative? I am so proud of that workshop. It was an honor to co-chair with your colleague, Gwen Darian, from the National Patient Advocate Foundation, and to work with all of the committee members. And it was such a racially and ethnically diverse and work background diverse committee that came together to put this workshop on. It was a privilege to be a part of that group. But one of the things that really stood out and that we as a committee wanted to amplify was the discussion that we were having in this country around systemic or structural 
structural racism. And the fact that we were able to start that workshop with that discussion. Thinking back to when I was a public health student, there is no way we would have been able to start a workshop on that topic. So being able to make that be the beginning of the workshop and then to take the time to define terms. We often hear terms like health equity, health disparity, social determinants of health, all of these sort of new terms for people maybe flying around. And so we spent some time you know, providing definitions. I think the beginning and the end stood out because then at the end of the workshop, one of our committee members, Dr. Robert Wynn, was able to pull together either current or past cancer center directors to talk to them about what can you do as a cancer center director to promote cancer care equity? Because without the leaders, without a champion within the organization, those efforts go nowhere. For folks that are interested, the workshop is on the NASEM website and there are proceedings that you can read through. I highly recommend spending some time and reading through those proceedings. Yeah, and I watched it and enjoyed it as well. Very provocative conversation, for sure. Like you said, very different environment to have that freedom than when you started your career Mm -hmm. 20 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. And I know during that event, you asked a very interesting question about what does an equitable cancer care delivery system look like? Why do you think this is an important question to ask as the cancer care delivery system attempts to focus more on patient social needs and working towards health equity? I think oftentimes, especially over the past couple of years, organizations have said they're committed to addressing health disparities, they're committed to working towards health equity, they're committed to dismantling structural racism, and then they have no idea what to do next. And so I think asking the question sort of helps us think about what is our goal? What do we hope all of these efforts that we're trying to do to reduce or eliminate health disparities that we say are working towards health equity, what what do we hope they will ultimately produce? We rarely get to the place of what should our healthcare delivery system look like? I conducted research on financial hardship, and we know that the financial implications of navigating a cancer diagnosis can be financially ruinous to many households. Certainly, that's not something we want for our cancer care delivery system. And so I think not only saying, yes, you are for eliminating cancer disparities, yes, you're for working towards cancer health equity, but in that effort, what are you aspiring to? What should our cancer care deliveries look like so that it is indeed equitable for everyone that enters it? Huge thing that we've noted in this podcast season and as we move on to our policy consortium is identity Mm -hmm. and how that plays a role in health equity as well. And I know that you mentioned your work specifically in gerontology and also you recently published a paper around health equity for older adults Mm -hmm. with cancer, specifically in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. Can you share a little bit about specifically for older adults, Mm -hmm. what does that look like? And what have you and your colleagues found? I was so excited to be asked to write that paper for the Journal of Clinical Oncology. So it was a special series focused on caring for older adults with cancer. And I think many times older adults 
are not necessarily included when we talk about health disparities populations and when we talk about clinical trials older adults are often excluded and so one of the things that we wanted to highlight in that paper is not to exclude older adults in the health disparities reporting work and also in the participation in clinical trials and also to highlight the ageism that older adults experience as they navigate healthcare. One thing that we definitely underestimate is the variability in how we age and even whether or not we talk about aging. We wanted to highlight in this paper ensuring that health disparities researchers highlight age-related disparities, differences that older adults may experience as they're navigating healthcare and addressing social determinants of health, and also how can we better integrate systems that provide resources and services to older adults one of the things that I noticed when I transitioned from a school of public health to a school of gerontology and learned more about the services and resources that are provided to older adults is that our healthcare delivery system and our long-term services don't often talk to each other very well. If they were confusing for me to navigate as a researcher, I'm sure they're <laughs> confusing for people. But also getting back to that notion that most organizations don't necessarily know what to do after making that initial sort of commitment to addressing health disparities and health equity. We also included in the paper some questions that folks can ask after that initial step. How does your organization define those terms, health disparity and health equity? Do you collect data on different sociodemographic groups? How do you report it out? And then how do you intervene? So we outlined some of those questions in the paper, which is actually a, an adaptation of a framework that I developed when I was at the Harvard School of Public Health. Those frameworks and actually having something that is tangible, that can inform change is very helpful because sometimes organizations and people's desires are there, but what does that really look like in action? So I'll step back a little bit and, and tell you how I developed it. While living in Rhode Island, I served on a Commission for Health Advocacy and Equity. And that commission was legislatively mandated for every two years to write the state level health disparities report. And I realized being on that commission, I had no idea how to write a state level health disparities report, but I had trained in public health. So surely if I didn't know how to do that, then many of our students didn't know how to do it either. So I developed a course called Measuring and Reporting Health Disparities. And in that course, I created a case study that took students through the process of having to write a state level health disparities report. So the first step is defining terms because initially on this commission we came to the table with different definitions or thoughts around what is a health disparity what is health equity and so we wanted to make sure that everyone around the table defined the terms the same way the next part of the framework is selecting what health outcomes you're going to focus on so with a state level health disparities report you have limited real estate you cannot include all health outcomes and so you have to make a decision but in including some that means you're excluding others and so some people may not stay around the table if they their particular health outcome is not being included in what you're focusing on. Next is thinking about how you're measuring those differences. Who is the reference group? Is your reference group the group that's doing the best? Because then the group that's doing the best tells you that that rate is attainable. Or is it a target rate that the county has set in terms of what you're working towards? For those of us in academia, we love to create the most complicated methods in terms of how we address our issues, but those complex methods may be challenging to communicate to community members. So it's also important to think about how you're measuring those differences and then how you're reporting them out to the community. And so those are all components of the framework that I'm using to implement the health equity framework and at zero, but also sort of undergirding the entire sort of framework is partnerships. In order to get to solutions, those solutions do not reside in the public health or healthcare delivery system alone. 
So we need sort of intersectoral collaborations with folks in education, folks in urban planning, folks in housing. All of the social factors that impact our health and our health behavior need to be at the table when we're talking about solutions. So wrapped around my entire framework is a focus on creating partnerships to ensure that you can actually address some of the differences that are noted in the health disparities or health equity work that you're trying to accomplish. I love that. So closing out, are there certain actions that individual people can do? Because we know that there's a lot of reform and change that needs to be made on a policy level, organization-wise, system-wise. But for people who are listening to this saying, I want to play my part in health equity, what can they do? Mm -hmm. What actions can they take related to health equity in general or specific to prostate cancer Mm -hmm. disparities to help with the reduction of that? The first place to start is education and awareness. Many folks are not aware of the substantial disparity that, for example, black men experience in prostate cancer. So black men have over one and a half times more likely to be diagnosed with prostate cancer and over twice as likely to die from the disease. And then in some states, those numbers are even higher. So one is just being aware that the disparities exist and and ensuring that we talk about our health within our families so that we can do the things that we need to do to ensure that as much as we can prevent the preventable health outcomes that create some of the disparities that we see. In addition to educating ourselves around the presence of disparity, also educating ourselves on the history of the disparity. So I think one of the things that many of us may not necessarily be aware is the fact that many of these differences are longstanding differences, differences that have been around for decades and understanding the factors that created the differences. So I know one of the things we talked about at the Promoting Cancer Care Equity Workshop was the history of redlining. So what are the policies that have sorted different groups into specific neighborhoods, primarily racial and ethnic minorities and primarily black folks into specific neighborhoods that then have long-standing implications for our health behavior and how we can navigate healthcare. So educating yourself about the disparities, educating yourself about the causes of the disparity. I often say within my organization that we cannot necessarily educate our way out of these differences because we need system level change. So that gets back to the, what does an equitable cancer care delivery system look like? So we need changes at that system level. So advocating for policies that reduce the financial barriers to care, advocating for policies that ensure that we all have access to high quality cancer care, and then just making sure that we don't stop in this sort of quest to ensure that we all have a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as we can as we continue to age. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.